0: Hello and welcome to the Humans of Cinema Podcast. Today I have with me director Aarti Kadav whose film Cargo recently released on Netflix to extremely positive reviews by both the critics as well as the audience. And I personally love the film as well immensely. Aarti knows that very well. And uh, thank you so much for joining Aarti. It's a huge, huge pleasure. Uh, How are you doing?
1: I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me and yeah, thanks for such wonderful words about the film and thanks for watching the film and liking the film. Yeah, I mean, we are very happy and surprised because this was a small independent film and now it's being watched by so many people. It feels very good. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I mean, you know, so many people are talking about the film, writing about the film. Uh, How does it feel considering, you know, especially since your debut film? Uh, So how how does it feel? How are your days going nowadays?
1: No, it's feeling very good, yeah, because I'm I'm looking at every review possible. I'm, you know, looking at every point of view that is coming towards the film. And it is amazing that people are not just connecting to the story or the fact that, you know, because we tried to do something very different, like science fiction. You know, we were mm. experimenting, uh, you know, it was a, an experimental piece, but also in terms of narratives, we were philosophical, we were layered and to see people responding to that is very rewarding in general. Yeah. And, you know, film wants to science fiction in general wants to talk about it's even though the story set in spaceship, it's about here and now. And if people mm. can get that, I mean, that's the biggest, biggest joy one can derive as a filmmaker. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Aarti uh, t- you know uh, I mean we will talk about cargo as well but you know just to get started uh, I always ask my guests you know what are the films that have had the deepest influence on your life while growing up or you know throughout your life what are the one film or two films or even filmmakers for example that have left the deepest impact on you
1: yeah so I think uh Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good question. And for me, I think more than the films, whenever I like a film, I go and visit the filmography of the filmmaker. And it's basically, I go filmmaker. I mean, so I think the one filmmaker whose films when i've watched and they i mean i kind of hit me like a storm was uh Stanley Kubrick's films mm. i think i saw all of his film all together like whether it was wow. uh, 2001 or shining or you know even lolita or paths of glory so i saw his film and with a as a with a bent of mind of a student so mm. and i learned so much from him in terms of like i think Shining is such a good example because that was the first film of his that I saw where, you know, Mm -hmm. horror usually is set in dark spaces with minimal, this, you know, with jump scares and Shining was filled with like, you know, a fully lighted corridor, (laughs) like, you know, there's no dark spaces. So I was liking that how he was averting genres, Hmm. how he was, I love that his things were not stereotypes, you know, he was not going and um, he had great attention to detail. Also, I liked that he was playing a lot with duality and the subconscious mind, you know, he was mm. playing at that level. He was playing at the level of instinct, emotions and subconscious a lot. And mm. that's what I really liked about his film, you know. So I think all of Kubrick's films in general, like for example, even mm. Clockwork, like where yeah. the first time you're seeing so much violence, but he's playing it through a music because he wants to show us through the character's point of view. So I yeah. was liking this contrast yeah. a lot. And mm-hmm. the other film that actually really I liked is uh, um, uh, was Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. It was, when I first saw it, I was again like, you know, this was the first time I saw uh, something that was cerebral as well as something that was touching my heart in general. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, and also like always, so Kubrick is like, you know, geometrically perfect and everything is, yeah. you know, high, you know, you know, but here, like, especially Lacuna, which was like that low rent, low tech kind of mm. setup. So I was like, okay, you can do things like that as well. Like, you know. Mm. And the whole, even the, you know, re-examining of your memories, it's such a mental construct, but to see it play out in the screen. And also, I think what I really liked about uh, Condry was in that he was using stage effects and he was using that kind of music. So he was playing with us. There was a genuine, um, he had planned a certain sense of disorientation. Like he was trying to disorient us. Like we were, even while we were still engaged in a scene, we would, he would tumble to the next scene. Like, you know, so Mm. I was liking Mm. that. And again, with both the films, uh, uh, both Kubrick's work and...
0: Uh, uh, Bondi or... Bondi. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So I like that they were using all this construct, like that futuristic construct to tell about things that are familiar to us and things that are unavoidable, like, you know, either this heartbreak or the horrors of you know living in general. Hmm. So I think what I liked was they were using this science fiction or whatever their, their constructs or their worlds to actually hmm. talk about our current realities and Mm. that was very very inspiring for me as Mm. a filmmaker
0: as an audience before you became a filmmaker uh, what did was the writing that you used to be more fascinated by or was the filmmaking itself that you used to notice more
1: Uh, so actually so I have been a storyteller all my life and uh, uh, so since childhood, I used to write a lot of stories and I used to win a lot of competitions and a lot of them were fantasy stories. So I was very attracted to writing in general, like, you know, and especially mm. the world building part of it. So I used to really do a lot of writing. It was fascinating. But again, more than cinema, I used to do a lot of uh, sketching, you know, and I used to do a mm. lot of charcoal sketching a lot. I mean, and I even had used to have ag- exhibition. So, I mean, just being obsessed with an image and working on the details of the image for weeks, I used to really nurse them for like, maybe there were some sketches, which were like, you know, in my house for like a month and Mm. my parents would say, when will it end? Like, you know, (laughs) but I would just be, you know, making, you know, working on them. So I had attraction towards image making and uh, writing in general, but cinema came Mm. later, like, you know, and it all Mm. came together very well for me.
0: Mm. And when did you know you want to be a filmmaker?
1: Uh, uh, I think uh, this was when uh, I started playing with the medium as such. So uh, my, instead of, uh, uh, look, a lot of people saw, see a film and they feel, okay, now let's be a filmmaker. But for me, I had got myself a filmmaker and, you know, I had been more or less a very introvert as a child. Like, you know, you could see that from my hobbies also. So I was not, I used to really not speak a lot. I, so when I started shooting using camera, I suddenly became, I I just discovered a medium of expression and I felt I could say things better through that language than, you know, myself, like, directly. Like, and Mm. that was giving me such a strange high. Like, you know, just because I think there is, we all have this universal impulse to communicate out, you know, Mm. things that are, you know, deep in our hearts and cinema was allowing that to me. So when I started actually, yeah, so buying myself a video camera, which was just a, gift to myself, you know, just became a, oh. really the biggest gift I gave to myself. Like, you know, because mm-hmm. I started making a lot of the small videos, written, directed, edited, sound design, <laughs> like, you know, you yeah, know yeah, things yeah. like that it started yeah. from there. Hmm. Yeah.
0: And yeah. did it start in college or like, how, how did you get started exactly?
1: So this was when, after, after I did my engineering, I was working in a, in a, in Microsoft, I was working in Seattle was when mm. and I think it was also the fact that I was away from my house, away from my family or away from all those, you know, uh, what you should do and what you shouldn't do kind of things. Like it's when I actually got myself a, a camera then, and I started mm. between my, I mean, I used to, do, I was working full time and it's a hectic job essentially, but during weekends I used to shoot a lot like, and. To a certain extent that one day I realized that I had applied for a holiday because I wanted to shoot and edit. Then I was like, you know, I can't believe that I'm bunking office to work on something that I'm so enjoying. Mm -hmm. And I think at that time, my friends were also like that. They were very supportive. They would be part of, you know, whatever short films I was making. Hmm. In fact, the, and none of them were like really actors or something. They were just like, you know, simple yeah. software engineers, just fresh from India, but they would pretend and act and they would, they really indulge to me. Uh, but yeah, I think I made a short film there and by the end of making short film, I knew that this is it. Like it, it's just that when hmm. you fall in love, you know, this is it. This is, this is the person <laughs> like it was like that. Like, yeah. yeah. So, okay. yeah so yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay, so Arti talking about the writing process specifically or talking about writing sci-fi in general, since you know, you are somebody uh, who is of course more fascinated with sci-fi and it is the genre that you have worked on until now, at least the films that I know about. Yes. If you have, have to talk about the writing process of sci-fi in general, how do you think the writing process of sci-fi is different from a non-sci-fi film? Uh,
1: yeah, so I think the first line of answer would be super geeky to it. But I just feel that whenever you're writing a screenplay as a writer, I felt that, of course, it's a lot of labor that goes into it. But there are few brain flashes you require. Like, you need to crack two or three things for the screenplay to be complete, like, you know. But mm-hmm. I think when you're making a sci-fi, you need four things. Like, example, you not just need good characters or the plot or the end resolution. You know, these are the few things that you really need to crack when you're making a good screenplay. But in sci-fi, to make a, you know, a autonomous living, breathing world is also one of the things that you need to really crack. And I think that uh, as a writer, you're always conscious of. And you know, I see so many sci-fi films where where there's so much exposition overload that the character in the first sentence, the first paragraph itself wants to tell everything. And you know, I'm very careful about not doing that. Even for example, if you take the example of Cargo, in fact, the Hansel Mehta sequence, the TED Talk, which we comes yeah. in the beginning, it was yeah. not there in the edit. In fact, it was okay. in the second half because uh, it was not required. If you see the film without it, you will understand the mechanisms of it because, you know, mm-hmm. you we do plant it very slowly. So, yeah. I mean, that care was taken during the screenplay that, you know, without... One in one scene telling everything gradually, like you know, Chaitanya introducing you about powers, and even the news introducing you about power So you know, gradually you're introducing the world to them, and so yeah, I mean, so in general, the world building is becomes very important. How you build that world, because how is how you let, you know, it's like how you open the gates of Disneyland, like how your your yeah. viewer is entering the world is very important uh, as a as a writer, and uh, for me. I think also what I started doing is building the world not from the writer's point of view, but from the point of view of the people who, the fictitious people, you know, populating that world. For example, when we were, Mm. uh, when I was thinking of spaceship, I thought, what will the spaceship designer think like, you know, maybe he's the rakshas, he has this problem. So we tried to build the spaceship with, you know, a lot of signboards and a lot of this, you know, welcome to Pushpuck 63 A kind of, uh, you know, animations, because, Hmm. I thought the person would worry, you know, the cargo has just died and come, he, he should not feel alienated. So he's trying to make the space warm for, you know, the people who are coming in. Things like, you know, you know, uh, for example, for the first draft of cargo, there was only Nitigya, there was no Chaitanya. And then I realized that like, you know, Nitigya need to sleep. He needs to sleep, right? He cannot be working 24 Hmm. hours. Hmm. So then... If he's sleeping, the guy who's coming for night duty, maybe he'll not be as, you know, as trained as Nitigya. He's just a functional guy. a little bit problem If there's a problem, then he might make a phone call to Nitigya and wake him up. Like, you know, things like that we were also thinking. So in the background when we were making our screenplay. So yeah, that world building becomes very important when it comes mm. to science sci-fi, sci-fi scripts.
0: Yeah. Did you have a co-writer on the film as well?
1: no no i didn't have a co-writer uh, i did bounce it to uh, my friends uh, and uh, two of my friends who have been with me since film school one is zen mach as well and zenish mehta so i de- do bounce my ideas in fact like when i even before i decide to write a script i tell them that this is what i'm trying to make okay. so yeah yeah so <laughs> when
0: when you're you know developing this world uh, when you're making, when you're writing a script uh, you know especially when you're making a film in india you know you know for a fact that and also when you started off probably uh, writing this film, you were still an independent filmmaker, right? More or less. Yes, yes. yes. I mean, when you know that there would be budget restrictions when you're making a sci-fi film in India, you know, the the genre is so new in India. Uh, It's not very successful. I mean, you know, it's uh, more or less with cargo. The conversation has just started uh, in a lot of ways. So, um, yeah. Does your writing process get affected in any way while you're uh, writing a film with the awareness that there would be budget restrictions?
1: Absolutely. In fact, there's a joke I was cracking to one of my other friends that like, you know, We have, one of the things we do is we see the resources we have and we become like one of those puzzle solvers. Like we write stories around the resources we have. In -hmm. fact, Cargo was in fact written, uh, before Cargo I've had a genuinely, you know, long struggle trying to make my films. And my earlier scripts were not at all, you know, restricted. I mean, they were like, you know, happy sci-fi, you know, you're writing the story and then let's see how to make it. But it was not happening for very long time, and in fact, I had a film in pre-production, and it got shelved because of again one of the producer thinking, oh, sci-fi might not work. So uh, when uh, when so just before I started writing Cargo, I knew the resources that were available to me. Like I knew a studio was available to me. I knew uh, uh, that these are the locations. Like if you see the apart from studio, the other places where I've shot Cargo is either, you know, railway station where you're shooting gorilla, hmm. or I've shot in my house or in my friend's father's, okay. uh, you know, hospital. So I actually wrote Cargo completely aware of the resources, which is wow. not ideal, but that's how it is. Like there is one actually beauty parlor scene uh, that got edited out, but I wrote that beauty parlor scene because I know one of my friend's mother has a beauty parlor. like you wow. know. So that's how we wrote the script of Cargo. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. So, very aware of it. We okay. shouldn't be like this though. Yeah. But I yeah. guess early films, uh, the idea was to make it at least as an independent filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Do you think that, you know, with cargo becoming successful, you know, I've always thought, you know, India, especially is a country that's obsessed with not science probably, but it's definitely obsessed with engineering, right? Or yes. Almost every parent wants their kid to either, you know, become a doctor, become an engineer. And yet, science fiction. And I know for a fact that most Indians enjoy science fiction, you know, like when they watch science fiction films from abroad, from Hollywood, it is a genre that, that they enjoy. I mean, Nolan is definitely one of the most successful Hollywood filmmakers in India in terms of yes. its, its popularity. I mean, I've seen, you know, Nolan fan clubs with thousands of people on Facebook, which just has Indians in it, you know. Dark, yes. for example, became such a successful yes. show. Uh, you know, in, in, India. in India. Yeah. So why do you think that despite all of this science fiction, science fiction genre uh, has not been able to, you know, get successful in India in terms of we haven't had a lot of Indian films from that genre. And second, do you think that there's a good future for the genre in the uh, like, you know, with Cargo's success and with things changing, OTT coming in place, what do you think about the future as well?
1: Yeah, I agree completely with you. And it, it that's a question that baffled me a lot. Like, you know, when people like, and not just like you know, having love for Nolan films, but if you go for a, you know, collective consciousness, uh, collective. we have so many this uh, mythological stories that are part of our, you yeah, know, yeah. Our everyday folklore. And we are open to magic in our magical stories in general. But when it came to cinema, we never saw that represented there. And I always used to get baffled. But I think also for, you know, because we had seen films like Interstellar or, you know, 2001. So films with amazing CGI and films with big scale. So the benchmark felt like, you know, one of those really big budget Hollywood films, which I think Indian producers in general were not, you know, comfortable. Mm, Makes sense. Experimenting with. So I thought that was the biggest stumbling block for sci-fi in India initially. And I think there was not much exposure to, lo-fi sci-fi like Eternal Sunshine or even other sci-fi that we have seen around the world. So people mm. always thought that things that would work would be like things like Avengers or things like Nolan's films and not like one of the small films. Like, mm. So I think that was there. Uh, I also felt that a lot of sci-fi stories when we went out and looked for sci-fi stories, you know, so US have had a very big culture of sci-fi. You know, they had like sci-fi pulp magazines and stuff, but those stories don't translate well to Indian... Uh, sensibilities and in Indian cultures. So I think that was also there, like they felt, ki, you know, this story we can make here, but will it work? And then they tried that. They tried to make superhero kind of films with, you know, Ravan and stuff. And it, it had such a mixed response, like, because you felt that people are still not connecting to it because we don't have any base for superhero. A yeah, superhero anyways, based on that immigration mythology, which we don't have connections to. But I think moving forward I think both of these are changing because with a wider with OTTs there's a wider exposure so you can see films that are not like massively big budget but are good in sci-fi so you can see that and I think yeah with cargos and I'm sure there will be a lot more sci-fi stuff you know coming in the floodgates will open because suddenly when you start telling magical stories there's no end to it so I think that will also change also I think there is lot of uh, there's a in literature there's a lot of eastern sci-fi movement like there's a lot of good sci-fi coming from china and japan and i think those stories will be good uh, seeds to tell good sto- uh, good sci-fi okay. stories rooted in indian culture so i think the future is very strong and very yeah hmm. i mean i look forward to it for sure yeah
0: okay arti you know uh, <clears throat> a very important subgenre of uh, sci-fi uh, you know there's so many films uh, from hollywood especially where Feminist cinema and sci-fi cinema have found themselves to be intertwined with each each other. You know, there have been, you'll you'll find way more uh, strong, independent female leads in sci-fi films as compared to other films. Uh, So, one, why do you think that is? So, I'll read out something that I read in an article online. Uh, It said that an obvious attraction of science fiction to women writers is the possibilities it offers for the creation of a female hero, unbound by a social structure that's patriarchal or oppressive. And some some of the examples, for example, are the alien series, you know, Gravity, Arrival, Buffy the Vampire, which was a very successful show. Uh, I mean, so what do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. So a lot of early sci-fi literature and early sci-fi films, which were like very ma- made by men, like, you know, uh, yeah. wrote women in a way that was very convenient, like, you know, they, uh, so for example, women were either this very good looking soldiers. Hmm. Or you know, uh, very, very for that matter. No. Yeah, very, very attractive soldiers, very sexually yeah. attractive soldiers, or they were like Mother Mary kind of figures, like so pure and like you know, like hmm. that. So there were no no real women uh, in 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 sci-fi stories as such. And I think, yeah, I mean, sci-fi. I mean, one sci-fi is also in you know, a way to question the realities. And I think if you have women characters like that which are, you know, showing strong, independent women, you're questioning the realities of, you know, how we see women as such. Like, either we see women as mother figures or as sexual beings. We don't see them in between. So I think that's that that's that's true. Though I have to say that when I read a lot of science fiction women writers, they, they usually had male protagonists, but they were also instead of questioning, uh, you know, the role of women or men, they were questioning the society itself. In fact, a lot of women sci-fi writers have questioned the society a lot. And it's their way of revolting, by actually questioning those building blocks of patriarchy. And I think that's also very, very, very good. And yeah, as you said, like your films like Arrival Aliens, like such strong women. And I think it's important because sci-fi as such has always felt like men's club like you know and women Mm -hmm. never found uh, or young girls never found role models in sci-fi and it is nice that like now uh, with a lot of these feminist voices you know belonging to both men and women sci-fi creators are great giving strong role models to young girls as well yeah
0: so yeah i think people are also making an effort now to in order to uh, ensure that representation uh, is being ensured in sci-fi also. For example, Doctor Who, I think in Doctor Who, they're casting a woman as Doctor Who, yeah.
1: no? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, yes. They've, already they've already done it. They've already yeah, done it, yeah, yeah, yeah. So,
0: I mean, they are now consciously making an effort uh, yeah. and uh, I think yeah. it's quite good, no?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm actually also very Doctor Who fan. <laughs> yeah. Crazy Doctor Who fan, <laughs> yeah.
0: So, Arti, you know, we we just spoke about you know the future of sci-fi, and you think that you know there is good hope for the future of sci-fi. But when it comes to independent filmmaking, you know, you as somebody who uh, you know struggled with making a first film for such a long time, um, what do you think has changed over the past over the past few years? You know, because. OTT has become so successful and people are now experimenting with their film choices as well. The audience, for example, in India is watching content from all over the world and is engaging with it as well. Uh, what do you think has changed over the past few years uh, as compared to when you started? And what do you think is the future of independent filmmaking in India?
1: Yeah, I think the uh, biggest thing that has changed, which I fi- feel is the filmmaking has become very demo- democratic, you know, the way painting and poetry was accessible to everyone, the same way filmmaking is now accessible to everyone, which was not true for like, say, five to 10 years, five to 10 years ago, where okay. filmmaking was limited to the studios, like in general, no. only people who had you know, people would say, well, let's take a train to Bombay, you know, Stand outside the studios and let 's get a chance to make a film now nobody can nobody needs to wait for any chance you know you can act you can you have your own camera and you can do it yourself and it just changes because then our pe- people can experiment even in isolation and create content for people and also with the platforms like starting from YouTube you know you can create content that is available to the entire world like which I really felt yeah. with cargo because when we were even till before cargo, my last film that had come was Time machine which was, you know, made, uh, which was really initially only consumed by my friends, families and people just little bit outside my circle, like, you know, but with Netflix, suddenly I realized that it's been consumed by so many people. And I think that's so empowering. It also gives you a sense of, you know, satisfaction, but also you Mm -hmm. feel that, okay, now you have to do well, because so many people see a film and engage with it at so many levels. So I think the the biggest change is filmmaking is democratic so i find it so weird that in today's day and age we are having this conversation what is insider and outsider i said it's gone the walls have down like you know there's no insider there's no outsider you can make a film and also with OTT's, this two two advantage it's not just mm-hmm. as a creator but as a consumer i have uh, you know access to so many wide variety of content in my fi- at my fingertips so Earlier, either, like we used to, you know, either download from here and there or try to go to uh-huh. film festivals to see those content. But now we can see all of the And everyone can see it. Like, not just me, who is a cinephile, but people who are, or not just me, who's a filmmaker, but anyone who is a cinephile can actually go and see that. So I think there's a massive, yeah, it has changed now. Like, it's available to each of us, which is very, very good. Like, I think people will experiment. I think this is, this is a new wave. I genuinely feel it. I feel that so much optimistic about it. Like, like, for example, like, you know, I always used to feel that Are, yeah, we came to filmmaking so late people have already discovered cuts. People have already discovered this Eisenstein method of editing or this or whatever. Hmm. What more will we discover? You know, but I think this is a new wave and now people will discuss, uh, discover new ways of doing things. Hmm. And I'm, I mean, I'm very hopeful of uh, independent cinema.
0: Yeah. Okay. Arati, yeah. uh, what's, What's personally your process when you're writing, you know, uh, your characters, when you develop your characters or when you're writing a script, how exactly do you go about it? Is it the, is it first the story that you work upon and then you, you know, dive deep into your characters individually or is it the character that you work on first? What exactly is your writing process like?
1: Uh, Yeah, so uh, I think uh, for me, it is essentially, uh, first of all, the idea, I mean, it's like uh, all genre filmmakers will tell you the first, the idea comes to you. Like, you know, the the world comes to you before anything else. Like, okay. what if this happens? And then first thing I try to really crack is the story. Like, you know, the because, you know, the what ifs, are, you can come up with a lot of what ifs. What ifs, what if a man was in a spaceship, you know, transition. So what if you can come up with a lot of them, but you have to have a fully formed story with it. Like. So for me, I have to have a story before I dive deeper and the characters are the drivers of that story. Like, you know, I always want my characters to deal with the themes that I probably personally, I feel I'm dealing with or people I empathize with closely are dealing with, like, you know. So I want to, the character in that situation should, I feel should talk about something uh, that is, that connects with me. Like, you know, his journey should be same as somewhere, my journey, somewhere, like, you know, at some level. So yeah, the story Mm. comes first and I try to like, yeah, break it down like that. That first I work at that level. Then I work at the step outline level and only then I jump into the screenplay because I feel that if the, these are early blueprints of your screenplay, if they are, and a screenplay is a blueprint for your film. So, you know, it has to, so that's the way I I work. Yeah. Mm. So yeah. And there's a like li- nice litmus test I use, which is a quote actually from Amrita Pritam's uh, graphic novel, which says that of, um, a story to work, uh, you know, uh, has to work in three places. She says, in the bloodstream, in the town square and in the turning of the galaxies. And basically it should work at the personal level. And in the town square means it should be popular. And in the turning of the galaxy means it should be timeless. So I try to you know, and so many times I'm very attracted to the story because I'll tell you when you freshly write a story, you like it. you know, you don't have that judgment. so I make it go through that test, and so many times I'm like, oh my gosh, it's not passing this test, but I like it, you know, so yeah, it's always there, but yeah, <laughs> okay. but I try to yeah make it pass so consciously,
0: you always consciously try to pass this, pass that test, like it's something that is there in the back of your mind always.
1: Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And uh, like, yeah, sometimes I try to ignore the test because it is, it, it becomes hard to come up with your stories and yeah. I do write every day. I'm an, I'm one of those people. It's like what uh, Ursula Gaines says, he says like the person who makes bread every day. It's like, you know, you should be like that, like a person yeah. who writes every day. So I, so Seinfeld, of course I, talk- I also,
0: I've also read a, uh, I also seen this interview with Seinfeld and he also says that, you know, my, my only process is that I write a joke every day.
1: Yeah. Yeah, true, true. And that's what yeah, he advises and- to everybody. Yes, yes, yes. So I totally I, I follow that, and uh, only this week has been different because of the cargo release. But otherwise, I've been a very, very you know, uh, yeah. I, I wake up in the morning, I write every morning, and yeah. Sometimes you come up with stories that don't pass the test, but you're still attracted to it. So sometimes they become part of a larger story. You know, you never know how how your stories become densest by all the other stories that you write that you throw away. You know. Do you have so, days when yeah. you
0: when you sit to write and then you've not just you're not really written anything and you've just sat there and thought about a lot of things for two hours. Does that happen? With yes,
1: you? a lot. In fact, like for me, uh, the biggest rides in writing happens when you're actually just looking up and staring at this yeah. ceiling. In fact, I have a picture of a, <clears throat> so I used to wake up in the morning and write and you know, that room had a tube light, and I used to stare at the tube light for hours <laughs> in the morning. So uh, I once just took a picture that this is the most, this is the thing I stared at. This you're staring into nothingness, but like, yeah, yeah, I do uh, think a lot. And I think when I'm doing that is when I'm actually making real progress. Of course, when you're writing it, it gets even better because when you're making things concrete, more ideas flow in. But mm-hmm. actually you make bigger strides when you're actually just let, letting yourself be absorbed by a story like that when you're thinking about it for two hours or mm. thinking about life for two hours or something, you know, you're getting it somewhere. Basically you're getting it to yourself also when you're thinking yeah. like that and then you can write better. Mm. So I'm, yeah, I do that a lot.
0: Arti, yeah. for you personally, what is the purpose of cinema?
1: Okay. So, uh, so it's actually a very deep question. Uh, like what is the purpose of yeah, cinema? Yeah, I and, it is. <laughs> and I think, uh, I think one way to unravel that mystery is to think, what is the purpose of, you know, we can go back and study early art and understand what was the purpose of that art. Like, you know, when you go back and see the early cave painting, so the early K paintings were, you know, it they were made to make sense of the world outside them and also the world inside them. Like, you know, yeah. uh, there is always this uh, universal impulse to communicate and make sense of the world around. And I think that is purpose of art form. That's the purpose of, you know, uh, of any philosopher or any, even an artist or any, any art, uh, yeah, or of cinema in general. I think we we create films to make sense of the world and, you know, outside world and inside world both and uh, yeah again and going back to the early dweller early form of story dwelling where people yeah. were sitting around a fire and telling stories and it, it was a way to come closer to the fire and you know escape the world around so I also feel that our movies are like you know in the world filled with so much noise and so much entropy like you know we are like you know they they are island islands of peace uh, and they are like sort of dying embers of hope or you know or dying embers there are places where we all feel connected I think that is the purpose of cinema that when you are feeling lost you watch a film and you feel a sense of belonging to the world hmm. I think that's that's what is purpose of cinema for me
0: and is yeah. that why you also like to make films
1: yes 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 absolutely I think it's a way, my way of feeling belong belong to this world like
0: oh, wow. yeah
1: yeah,
0: yeah. Achharthi, um I think we're almost at the last stage. Uh, so, yeah, I think uh, if I have to ask you, what's an advice that you would like to give uh, to aspiring filmmakers? Uh, I mean, you know, like probably both artistically as well as one advice that would be a bit more practical because don't choose are more different Yes, 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 yes. I think one
1: advice I always give, uh which is like, you know, always feel that uh, I I'd probably start with the practical advice first, which is always like strengthen your core values, like, you know, oh. uh, like, one is the art of it and the craft of it, but try to be sincere, try to be very sincere, try to be very disciplined, you know, if you're good at this core values, you will probably survive this, like you try to be humble, try to be nice to people with your team, try to, because filmmaking is also very collaborative art form. And I think, we talk a lot about how we are getting these ideas, but eventually I have to work with like, you know, my set has 60 people. You have to work with 60 people working towards that idea. So I think the stronger your core skills are, the better you become as a, you know, uh, as a team manager as such. Mm -hmm. I think that, uh, I think that's what I would give an advice and be sincere, like be honest to yourself. And, uh, and artistically, I would say that, you know, I always like being in touch with the, classics, the people who have created great films, like, you know, uh, you know, the masters of cinema always learn from them. And at the same time, I always like to, I really like to see a lot of new short films that keep coming because I also like those, that, that energy of new voices and the experiments they are doing because, you know, so I think you should not just say that, okay, I only, you know, you have to study Kurosawa or, you know, or, you know, big film makers, but you should also study this fresh guy from film school who made something so obscure yeah. and so unique because I think you need to learn from both the places. So I think, yeah, yeah. so that's second advice I would give. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: All right, uh, so, Arti, thank you so much for joining. Uh, it's, it's been a huge pleasure and uh, thank you so much. Thank you so much for all the advice and thank you so much for uh, such amazing insights into your life as well as your filmmaking and screenwriting process. Uh, and uh, thank you so much to everybody who joined in this was Aarti Kadav uh, and yeah this is a signing
1: off from the Humanist Cinema Podcast thank you so much wish you good luck <laughs> yeah thanks a lot